If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're in Luke chapter 19 as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. And we've learned as we've been going through these parables uh, that Jesus will often tell these short stories that answer the big questions of life. And today, uh, Jesus tells this parable to those who think the kingdom of God will appear immediately. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. He's been healing people, and folks think, man, he's going to get to Jerusalem and take power and throw off the yoke of Roman rule, and then we'll never suffer with diseases or health problems again because he's going to heal everybody, and we'll finally have the kind of government we want because he'll throw off the yoke of Roman rule, and all of our hardships of life will go away. You know, people think that way today as well. If you listen, some TV preachers will tell you that if you follow Jesus, you can be healed of all your diseases, that you can have the kind of government that you want, that you don't have to have any hardship anymore in this life. And Jesus just tells us in this parable that that is not the way things work at this time. And with these folks who are watching Jesus do these things as he heads to Jerusalem, With these folks, we ask this question. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the promised Messiah, if he's the Son of God, resurrected from the dead in power over death, if all those things are true, if Jesus is who he says he is, then why do we have to wait on his kingdom to come in all of its fullness? Why can't we enjoy healing now, great government now, end all of our hardship now? Why do we still have to face those things if Jesus is who he says he is? Why do we have to wait? Listen to the story Jesus tells to answer that question in Luke chapter 19. I'll begin reading in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. A mina is about three months' salary, so he's given them money. He gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. 
He said to him, I will contemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put money in the bank, and at my coming I might have it collect I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Yikes. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a a hard word. Uh, These things are difficult to understand. I pray that you would come by your spirit and that you would give us understanding of these words and that you would teach us the things that you have for us to learn. And we ask that you'd be willing to do that even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There was a time when waiting was much more a part of life. Maybe you remember that time. I remember when I was a kid, uh, something as simple as television. My family, uh, even though I was not in high school yet, would go to the local high school football game, just sort of something you did as a part of the culture in the southeastern United States. But Friday nights, well, that was also the night that my very favorite television show as a kid came on, The Dukes of Hazard. If you remember that show, a great show for young boys, like cars chasing each other, blowing things up, shooting bows and arrows, right, evading the police, you know, those kinds of things. So I loved that show. But if we weren't home on Friday night, I didn't get to see the Dukes of Hazard. I would just have to hear about it at school. There was no, like, come back later and watch it whenever you want to. There was no on-demand, right? You had to wait until they ran the reruns later in the year. So there was this waiting that was built in. Or if there was a cliffhanger, like right before they would go to the break, they would, all, you know, they would be up in the air and you wonder how they're going to get out of this mess that they're in, right? And then you would go to a commercial and you would have to wait on all the commercials to go by. Or if they ended a show on a cliffhanger, you had to wait until the next week when the show came back on. You couldn't just watch the next episode like we do now. Or, my goodness, if they ended a season, if it was the season finale and they left you hanging, then you had to wait an entire season to see what happened. There was a lot more waiting. One other one, as I was thinking about this, I always used to look forward to, as we come into the holiday season, I always wanted to look forward to watching, remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, those little kind of creepy-looking marionettes, you know, um, with the abominable snowman and that sort of thing. You know, Rudolph came on one time a year, and if you missed it, you had to wait an entire year in order to see it. There was no DVD, there was no, you know, you just had to wait, There was a time when waiting was much more a part of life. These days, we get so much more instantly, and we don't have to wait. It's almost as if we are being trained in impatience. It's hard for us in the things of life to wait. 
But it's also hard for us in the things of God to wait. Because God is just not in a hurry. And he often calls his people to wait. Jesus tells this parable because there were people who thought he was going to end all physical problems and disease and ailments and heal all of their um, uh, their ailments. They thought that Jesus was going to bring the perfect government and get rid of the Romans. They thought he was going to end hardship in life when he got to Jerusalem and took power and began to reign. And they ask the question that we ask, if Jesus is who he says he is, why do we have to wait on all those things? And in this parable, Jesus answers that question. And I hope you'll see from the parable as we look at it, that in the waiting, our identity is revealed, our purpose is recovered, and our faithfulness is rewarded. I want to look at those three things because I believe that's what Jesus is teaching us. But, but the thing that really helped me come to those conclusions and to understand what Jesus was saying is when I understood the parable in its historic, in its historical context. So I want to start with the historical context, then we'll look at those three things. All right? Let's jump in. First, let's put this parable in its historical context. You see there in verse 11 that folks thought that because he was near Jerusalem, they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. And so Jesus told this parable in order to deal with that expectation. Now, what you need to know is that this parable was not a totally new idea to these folks who were hearing this. It was something that they were familiar with. Because in 40 BC, Herod the Great had made a trip to Rome seeking a Roman appointment as the king over this region. And there were some who did not want Herod to be the king, and so they sent a delegation to Rome to oppose his appointment. Sounds familiar, right? He's telling a story that they've heard before. The same thing had happened in the year 4 BC. When Herod's son, Herod Archelaus, made a similar journey to argue his case against his half-brother, Herod Antipas. So Jesus is using a political situation familiar to his audience as the background for this parable. And just like those historic situations, Jesus is saying to the people, Look, I am the rightful king. But there are those who oppose my rule and reign. And to his followers, Jesus is saying here, you stay here, and I'm going to give you some resources while I am gone. And I want you to use these resources to engage in business for my kingdom while I go away, and then I will return with all power and authority, and I will reign. And Jesus does leave. And now we sit in the place of these servants. Now think about that with me. If that's what's going on historically, that Jesus has gone away, that we're his servants, look at verse 14. This should be very real to us, right? But his citizens, not the servants, right? He called his servants and he gave the servants resources. But the citizens of this place hated him. 
and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now think about that. First of all, that's pretty gutsy because Jesus is telling this story right in front of people who didn't like him, who didn't want him to have any kind of power, who opposed him, who were scheming how to kill him. And at the end, he says, look, you're going to get what's coming to you, right? You will be judged, he says at the end. So it's pretty gutsy that Jesus is telling this story as he stands there, no army, no political power, no money or resources. It's a pretty bold story to tell. But that continues for us to this day, doesn't it? As we look around, there are people who live in this world who say, we don't want Jesus to rule or reign over us. Many where we live will say, okay, well, I like this or that about Jesus, but I don't accept this or that. And I don't want his rule or reign over my life or over the place where I live. So that's the, we're, we're living in the same place these servants are. Now, how would you feel as a servant? And as we ask that question, I want you to think about the instability of political regimes in the Middle East at this time, right? He gives him some money, which is not that much, by the way. It's about three months of a salary for a working person. So it's not that much money. He gives him this money, and then he just leaves. There's no internet. There are no emails. He's not sending you fundraising texts while he's gone. The guy just leaves. He may or may not come back. We don't know. But I know for sure there are those who oppose him in this place where I live. Do I really want to do work for his kingdom? I'm sure that'll cost me something now in this place because there are people here who don't want to be under his rule and reign. And I don't know for sure that he will ever return. But what if he returns as king and I've done nothing with what he gave me? We get mad at the servant who did nothing with what he was given, but can you see why he hid the money and waited to see who had the, the right to rule and reign? He didn't want to put all his, uh, all, he didn't want to put everything on the horse that loses, right? He wanted to back whoever was going to win. You can kind of understand why he does what he does. And historically, uh, it was a, it was a coin toss, right? Herod the Great returned as king. Herod Archelaus did not. His, he was banished, and his half-brother Herod Antipas was given the throne. So the question posed by Jesus in this parable is this. Here's what he's asking his servants, not the citizens of that land, his servants, those who are followers of his. So here's what he would be asking his church. He's saying, will you take the risk to openly declare during my absence that you are my servant, that you are loyal to me, and you show that by doing business for my kingdom in a world where many oppose me and oppose my rule. That's the question Jesus is asking. They're thinking the kingdom's going to come immediately. He's saying, no, I'm going to be gone for a while. What are you going to do in the absence? What are you going to do in the waiting? And the parable teaches us some things 
First of all, it clearly shows it's going to mean waiting. We're not all healed now. We don't have the government we want now. There is no elimination of all the poverty now. There is no elimination of oppression now. There will be hardship now. But the question is, why do we have to wait? Why, King Jesus, do we wait? Let's look at the answers that he gives. First, in the waiting, our identity is revealed. In the waiting, our identity is revealed. Think about it. Our actions, what we do, show where our loyalties lie. Now, let's be careful. This is not a salvation by works, right? Jesus isn't saying you have to do something in order to be in my kingdom. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that your outward actions reveal the inward commitment of your heart. (laughs) Are you willing to stand up and to do business for his kingdom in a world that is hostile to him and where many people oppose him and it's going to put you at odds with some of the people around you? Are you a servant of the king even while he is gone? Even when many people oppose his rule and his reign? I'm sure there are many who try to play both sides, right? You do some stuff for Jesus, but not too much so as to offend those who reject his reign and his rule. How do I know which I am? Well, let me ask you this question. How are you using the resources Jesus has given you? Right? And it's not so much the outward results that matters, it's the inward heart. Are you loyal to him? Are you devoted to him? Are you using everything he's given you for him? I mean, what he rewards here is faithfulness, right? Well done, good, and faithful servant. He's looking for faithfulness while he is away. Are the things that you do for the growth of the kingdom of God. Do you think about that? Do you use all the resources God has given you for that purpose? If so, then when Jesus returns, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little I gave you. Come and reign with me in my kingdom. Jesus is looking for faithfulness. And many times we are not faithful to him. While he is away, Is your life characterized by faithful service to him? Some of us get confused while the king is away. We think our identity is about sex. We think our identity is about gender. We think our identity is about our politics. We think our identity is about our country. We think our identity is about our favorite team that we pull for. But our identity is that of a child of God and a servant of the one true king. Do your outward actions show that that's the loyalty of your heart? Is that the way that you use the resources that he's given you? In the waiting, our identity is revealed. But in the waiting, our purpose is recovered. Let's talk about that for a minute. In the very beginning, God created all things good, right? And he gave people a job to do here on the earth. We had a purpose. 
And he created us with this job to do. And you can read in Genesis 1 and verse 27 that the purpose he gave us was to be fruitful to fill the earth with images of God. He wanted us to fill the earth with people who reflect his image and to exercise dominion, to rule over the earth in the way that God would rule over the earth, in a way that brings honor and glory to him. In Genesis 2.15, you can read where God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. So listen, we had work to do before sin entered the world in Genesis 3. Work is not the curse. All right, the curse is our work comes undone, right? That thorns and thistles grow, that our work is a lot harder, that it's by the sweat of our brow that we work and that we labor because things come undone. You have to put it back together again because it's affected by the fall. But God gave us a job to do, and he gave us a purpose from the very beginning. And our purpose was to cultivate his creation for his glory, But in the fall, when we decided to go our own way, when we decided to disregard God's rule and reign over our lives, we decided we would rule the resources that exist on this earth for our own glory, for our own purposes. Or at best, the best of us rule for, okay, I want God to get some glory, but I want to get some glory too. At best, we have mixed motives in what we do. We have misused the position that God gave us as stewards of his creation. We have mistreated the earth and the environment and the resources he put us in charge of. But in the waiting, as we see that King Jesus has come and is victorious over sin and death by his resurrection, as we wait for him to come back in all of his fullness, with his kingdom to come in all of its fullness, he gives us gifts. And we use those to be fruitful and fill the earth with images of God. That's called evangelism in New Testament language, right? In Matthew 28, it's much more familiar. Like, go make disciples of all nations. That's being fruitful to fill the earth with images of God, with people who reflect what God is like. That's our job. It's still the same as Genesis 1.27, just some different New Testament language. Well, what about that part about ruling over everything in God's glory? Well, he goes on in Matthew 28 and says what? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? So there's evangelism, there's calling people to be servants, and then teaching them so that they do everything that he commanded us to do so that as we live our lives the way we are in our family, the way we do our work, the way that we live, work, and play, wherever God puts us, we do that in a way that Jesus has taught us to do it. And in that way, his kingdom comes more and more. Jesus gives us gifts that we use to be fruitful and to fill the earth with images of God and to teach people to obey all that he has commanded. So Jesus is calling us here to take the gifts God gave us and to rule wherever God puts us like he would rule it for his glory. Our purpose is recovered. As his servants, we're back in the place of doing that again. So our purpose is to use whatever he has given us to advance his kingdom in a world that has many who oppose him. 
Now, there's so many people who are confused or depressed these days because they feel like we don't have a purpose. Listen to me. You have a purpose in the world. And your purpose is to bring glory to God. And you do that by using whatever he has given you to multiply his image, to help people look more like him, and to rule and reign over whatever area he gives you the way he would do it. That's what your purpose is. And as we do that, his kingdom comes, and God is glorified in the world. So in the waiting, which we don't want to do, but in the waiting, our identity is revealed, and our purpose is recovered. But I've got some good news for you. After the waiting, our faithfulness is rewarded. After the waiting, our faithfulness is rewarded. Let's look at this because folks get confused about this. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the same thing happens with the second, right? And it looks like because they performed well, they get these rewards. And that is true, that our faithfulness is rewarded. But think about this with me. He gave them a mina, about three months' salary, And the best of these folks, while he's away, turns it into two and a half years of salary, right? That's a pretty good gain. The other one turns it into about one or a little more than one year's salary. And as a result, he praises them and he gives them authority over multiple cities. What are we supposed to take away from that? Well, think about that. I don't know what your salary is, but I would suspect that nobody in here has a salary that a year or even two and a half years would buy you a city, let alone ten cities or five cities. So the point Jesus is making is that when Jesus returns, he will bless you far beyond what you accomplished for him. That's what he's saying. That he's so gracious and generous. You know, he could have come back and said, what would you do with my mina? And the guy says, well, I made you ten. And he says, well, good, give me the ten because it was mine to begin with. Or to let him keep some of the minas. That would have been within his right to do. But he gives and is so gracious and generous. And he gives far beyond what they had accomplished for him while he was gone. That shows us that After the waiting, God will bless our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is blessed. One other thing, I just want to think about this with you. It also would mean, the Bible teaches, and Jesus seems to be saying here, that our future is not just sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You know, you see that in the cartoons sometimes. That we're just going to be in a worship service in heaven for the rest of our life, and people are like, boring. I don't want to do that. I'm not sure I want to go to heaven. Jesus pictures heaven, his kingdom, when it comes here, as cities. And the Bible refers to it as a city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. All this life we live in this world will matter in the kingdom to come. 
The investment you make in the kingdom now will matter when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. In Isaiah 65, the new heavens and the new earth is described in this way, that we will build houses and live in them. We will plant vineyards and eat of them. We will enjoy the work of our hands. We will not labor in vain, which is what the fall caused. That's the curse, right? That we won't labor in vain, that there'll be no more calamity, that we won't hurt one another, we won't oppress one another, that we will tell stories of the glory and the graciousness of God. We will eat together, we will feast together, we'll write songs together. The life to come will be like this life, only better. Without the sin, without the sadness, without death and all that comes with sin. So the kingdom to come is connected to this world in which we live. And Jesus is making very clear here that the weight is worth the reward. That we will be extravagantly blessed. Now, some people look at this and get concerned. They're like, well, that guy got 10, and that other only guy got 5. You know, that's not fair. Listen, that misses the point. If that's what you're thinking, I read commentators that get into that and talk about that. I don't think that's Jesus' point at all. The point is, neither one of them deserved a city, let alone 5 or 10 and the miner they turned into five or ten was not theirs to begin with. They owned nothing, and it was given to them. And they used what was not theirs to make more. And then when the king returned, he could have taken it back, but he didn't. Listen, I just got to tell you, in the kingdom to come, if I have authority over five cities and you've got authority over ten, I don't think I'm going to care that much. I think I'm just going to be happy to be there, and you will be too. And we will glory, we will glorify God and be thankful for his goodness to us. Some folks get concerned, the guy who is disobedient, Jesus takes away the mina from him and gives it to the one who has ten. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what I said. Even the people in the story, right? They're like, Lord, he already has ten. And he goes, yeah, I know. Now he's got eleven, right? That the king does with his resources what he sees fit to do, and they're his to distribute as he wishes. Now, I wanted to end this sermon here, and some of you wish, yeah, I wish you would quit talking now, right? I wanted to end the sermon here just with we'll be richly blessed that our weight is worth the reward, all those good things. But Jesus doesn't stop the parable here, and so I can't either. You see, in verse 20, we see this one who did not use what he was given to faithfully serve the king while the king was gone. And he seems to blame the king for his decision. He had built up in his head that the king was harsh when we've seen in reality how generous the king is. And he was given this mina. Mina is just, just money, but it's really a metaphor for our life, for all the resources that we have. And the servant did not use his life to faithfully serve the king while he was gone. He identified as a servant, right? When the king said, hey, I'm about to go on a trip, all the servants come to me. He identified as a servant, but then he did not serve. He went on with life as he always had. He lived exactly the same as if the king was not returning 
And in so doing, he showed he was never really a servant at all. His identity was revealed. That's point one, right? So this one is not generously welcomed into the kingdom of God. And then at the end, there are those who opposed the king, those who did not want him to rule, those who opposed his reign. They probably harassed his servants or made life difficult for them as they tried to, to build his kingdom while the king was gone. And those people are judged. And Jesus just ends the parable there. He just stops. And in, uh, in ending so abruptly, Jesus seems to be calling us to ask the question, who am I in the story? Which one most closely looks like my life? Am I one who actively resists the rule and reign of Jesus? Listen, I tell you, he is a good and generous king. Come and serve him. Maybe you're like this fellow who was on the fence. He wasn't sure who was going to be in control. You claim to be his servant, or maybe you've claimed that in the past, but you do not faithfully use all he's given you to do his business. King Jesus says if that's where you are, then you're really not a servant at all, and you have no place in his kingdom. So let me ask you, do you live your life differently because you know King Jesus is coming back? While the king is away, we have to remember who we are. We are servants of the king. We've been given gifts by the king. We have a purpose in life. And when the king feels distant, we continue to do his business. Each of us has a role to play. I call you to come and serve him. Finally, for those of you who are working faithfully to serve the king, even though it's sometimes hard to do so, let me just tell you that remembering our identity, who we are, and remembering our purpose to advance his kingdom is what enables us to keep going in everyday life while the king seems far away. Never forget, you have a king And that king has given you an identity and a purpose and gifts. And he calls you to step into the world with the little you have to see much made of it because he is going to return. You are not an accident. You have a purpose. You are known. You are loved. And you will celebrate with him when his kingdom comes in all of its fullness. I call you to serve the king this day and all the days of your life. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's hard to wait. We long for the day when you heal all sickness, when pain is no more, when death goes away, when there is no oppression, when we're, there is no more sin and sadness when we are kind and loving, we long for that day. But until that day, I pray that you would help us to remember who we are, that you would remember the job that you have given us, and that you, by your Holy Spirit working in us, would make us faithful servants. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.